are you doing today? I got kind of bored early and I started watching, I, I don't remember if you watched it or not, the Staircase documentary on Netflix. I don't think so. I think we talked about it. Because I, I don't think I watched it. I watched it when it first came out and then Is something like... Is that the chick like, with the owl... The owls Yeah, she had like a feather, like a microscopic feather or something yeah. like that. And they were like, maybe a large owl came and beat her in the head with its talons. It's like, okay. In, in the house. I guess it could have happened. Like, lived a lot of years on this planet, like decades, and I have never seen an owl in the house. Yeah, and you live in Georgia. You have a lot of like and large birds. I've had birds a lot here. of critters in my house. Believe me on that. I have been called to the neighbors' houses to get birds out of their houses. I mean, that happened to me when I was home alone when I was like 10. Do you remember that? No. A bird got in and I was like screaming and you're like at work and you were just like, calm down. Like, <laughs> like we've all been there. Come on. It's just a bird. It's not going to kill you. It's not. It's well, the not problem like a... wasn't the bird. The problem was the four cats that were sinking into the bird. That's a valid point. Yeah. But it wasn't like it was a pterodactyl, you know. Yeah. Mom is chasing me around the house. It's trying to eat my uh, face. You know, like 16 years later, I'm fine. We're <laughs> still here. Exactly. Okay, this week we're trying something different. Yeah. We kind of had just one bee for you this week that we wanted to share. We determined that this story was going to be a little bit long to combine with another story. So we're doing, like Bailey said, just one bee instead of BNB and... Just something to get you through the middle of the week until our Friday episode comes out. That'll be episode nine. So. That's right. So this is eight and a half. Eight and a half. Eight point five. Yes. Eight point five. First episode of Just One B. And uh, you can take it away. All right. Who do you think it's going to be? John Wayne Gacy. I'm just kidding. It's not John Wayne Gacy. I'm sorry. You know what? Clowns are just not funny. No, they're not. They're they've just, never been funny. They've I've never, never been funny. I'm not scared of them. I hate clowns not because they're scary. Just because they're, they're freaking stupid. Clowns are stupid. They're not funny. There's nothing funny about them. Yeah. Maybe in like, you know, like the 1600s, they had clowns that might have been funny because they didn't have anything else to judge. Well, they also by. thought like public executions were a fun day with the fam. So That's like, true. <laughs> they had their picnics and hung out and waited for. We'll take whatever we can get to laugh. <laughs> Please. This was not a story that is probably unknown. I think a lot of people know this story, but I wasn't aware of it. Okay. So I found it because, you know, my whole point is to find people who kind of got what they deserved. Mm-hmm. And this one was one of those cases. But then when you look into it, you find this happened to this dude who did this thing. You're like, oh, Holy crap, he did all this stuff before he did this thing. Yeah, it's exhausting. It's like, and they end up being only known for the thing, and it's like, God, it hurts your brain almost. It it, (laughs) it kind of does, because this guy was a really bad guy. Okay, well, I'm excited to hear. Okay, well. (laughs) She is too. (laughs) Puss is also excited. She's like, I hate serial killers. Damn it, I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Puss, you be quiet, please. So in 1986, there was a couple, and their name was Doug and Chris Wells. They were married. They lived in Missoula, Montana. Okay. Chris, the wife, managed a furniture store. On September 3rd of that year, Doug walked outside to take out the trash bin at their house, and he found an employee of Chris's who was hiding in the bushes in the front yard of their house. Okay. And Doug's like, what the hell? What are you doing in my bushes? The employee that was in there was, his name was Wayne Nance. 
And he worked for Chris as a delivery driver. Okay. This sounds vaguely familiar now, but I, I have no idea where you're going. To <laughs> Doug had never liked this guy. He had always disliked him because he seemed to have some sort of a fixation on his wife, Chris. Nance was able to make up some sort of a reasonable enough excuse for why he was in the bushes in the front yard. And Doug's like, he's a weirdo anyway. I'm just going to go back in the house. Leave it alone. So Doug turned around to go back in the house. And as he turned his back to Chris's employee, Nance suddenly bashed Doug on the back of the head with a baton. Yikes. And Doug was stunned, but he turned around and he was fighting Nance in the, in the front yard. The noise from this scuffle woke up Chris, who was upstairs in her bed. Because this was like midnight. You know, oh, really? She, it's like middle of night. Oh, it's God. the middle of the night. He had gone outside. That's even weirder. He had remembered late that he had not taken the trash out. Jeez. So he went out to take. See, it's almost like if it had been like five in the afternoon, you could be like, "Oh, I for she forgot this at work. I wanted to stop by and give it." But yeah, midnight. Well, his you excuse have no business was being his excuse was that he had been driving down the road, just happened to be passing by, and he saw someone else in the front yard. So he told Doug that he was in there looking for the guy. Oh, who so had he came been, and he was like, "Oh, I gotta protect I'm this the hero family. of the story." Yeah, so that's why. Doug was like, okay, whatever, dude. And he was going to go back in the house. So Nance cracks him over the head with a baton. Doug turns around to fight him. Chris hears the noise downstairs, and she comes downstairs. She's like, what the hell is going on down here? So she comes downstairs. She finds her employee and her husband beating each other up in the front yard in the middle of the night. Can you imagine fresh out of sleep how confusing that would be? Yeah, I'm sure she was completely... What the hell? What kind of chaos is going on out here? She yells at Nance. She's like, well, what do you think you're doing? Get the hell out of here. And at this point, Nance pulls a gun on them. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, his little excuse about trying to protect them suddenly doesn't seem Yeah, but so you brought a baton and a gun? Valid. Yes. Okay. So, once he's pulled the gun on them, he forces Chris to tie Doug up. Okay. Nance demands that they give him money. And he was acting like he had come there looking for money, and he's, he kept saying something about he had done something bad and he needed the money so he could get out of town. All right. Well, later you'll find out he did do something bad, but that's not what he was there for. He was there as a bad guy. And he had a reputation for having a really bad temper. Chris felt very threatened. She just thought, uh, he's got a gun. The only way I'm going to get rid of him is to give him the money. Mm-hmm. So she told him where he could find money in the house. So after she tells him this, and after Doug's already tied up, he ties up Chris too. And she was like, oh, this doesn't seem good. So he carries her up the stairs, ties her to a bed, and gags her. And then he goes back downstairs to get Doug. So he forced Doug to walk down to the basement, and he tied him to a post, started beating him, stabbed him in the chest. Yikes, okay. God, he's using three different weapons now. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, thinking that Doug was not going to be a threat to him now, Nance leaves him tied to the post and goes back upstairs where he intended to rape and probably to kill Chris. Mm-hmm. Because um, after this, how do you just leave them? You know, right. They her know husband exactly might be dead downstairs. Like... I mean, she's got your social security number. You work for her. She's not... You're, you know, she's going to find you. Well, if you want to be slick, homeboy, maybe don't fight them in the front yard to start with. <laughs> like, maybe get in the house. Not that I want to give advice to murderers, but just... Yeah, I mean, 
back in the 80s that people weren't yeah. having cameras all in the front yard <laughs> around the neighborhoods. Yeah. Like, I saw this two houses down. <laughs> so Doug, in the basement still, tied to a post, got a head wound. He's been beaten bloody, and he's been stabbed just mm. inches away from his heart. A couple more inches closer to his heart, he would have been dead. He was just enraged. You know, this guy is run off with his wife. Who knows what he's doing to her up there? He's got adrenaline. So he's using this rage and this adrenaline as motivation and fuel. And he's freed himself. Somehow he gets himself freed from this post. So Doug has always been a gunsmith. That's his trade. Okay. And he had recently been repairing a rifle that was still down in the basement. So he had repaired it. It's still down there. But he's only got one round of ammunition. So he loads the rifle and he starts running up the stairs. But Doug is thinking, okay, well, I don't know how long I'm going to stay conscious. Because he's losing blood from this stab wound. Well, for sure. Well, he's got wound. a head wound and a stab wound. He's like, I might lose consciousness. So I need to draw him closer to me, away from my wife, and engage him sooner so that I can meet up with him and try to shoot him before I pass out. Okay. So that's what his mind is telling him. So he's making as much noise as possible all the way up the stairs to the second floor to try to draw Nance away from assaulting Chris. Because Doug's not stupid. He knows what Nance is doing up there or what yeah, he's about to do. Yeah, you don't separate the husband and wife, tie her up and bring her upstairs. Exactly. Especially because this guy's always had a fixation with his wife. So they meet up in the upstairs hallway. They just come face to face out there and each of them shoots at the other. Okay, I forgot he had a gun too. Yeah. So Doug thought at first that he had missed. He's like, shit, I've used my only round of ammunition. But then Nance disappears like through the doorway and Doug kind of smirks to himself because he realizes he had hit him when he heard Nance go, oh, I'm a dead man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, Doug had also been hit. But the guy is obviously a tank, and he just kept fighting. So he's beating Nance now with the rifle. He just finished repairing this rifle, and now oh, he's beating a, the hell out of Nance with well, it. Well, small sacrifice you got to make. You Bashed know? him over 60 times. Jesus. With the butt of the rifle. Now that's and, some survival kicking in, you know. Until, he, until Nance finally seemed to stop fighting, but Nance still had his gun. Right now, he's just sitting there, and... Chris was so enraged. She had also managed to free herself. This couple is a couple of badasses. I'm telling you. You need to take some they were training on. courses how to get out of Can you <laughs> believe them? I mean, how hard is it to free yourself when someone has the intent to kill you? Especially when you're terrified and your brain's not thinking right. Yes, and they're both are freeing themselves. So anyway, she's enraged. She had freed herself and she starts punching Nance in the face, in the chest. And finally, Doug pulled her off of him, probably not because he cared about Nance, but because he didn't want her to hurt herself. You know? Well, yeah. You know, if you're not used to punching somebody, you're probably going to break your arm or your hand or your wrist. Or if you're in a whirlwind, you might not notice you're hurt right away and just keep going. Yeah, you know and, he, I mean? and Doug didn't know if maybe Chris was injured. He didn't know. What had happened since he, he had last saw Yeah, there was no triage at this point. They're right. Just, so after Doug pulls Chris off of Nance, Nance is just kind of crawling away. He's just mewling and he's crawling oh, away. Oh, baby, it's hurt. Begging them to stop. Oh, Please stop hooting so me. Please stop hooting me. <laughs> so after he crawled away, he did manage to get off two more shots. 
and one of those hit Doug in the leg. But when Nance tried to fire a third shot, Doug's like, fuck you, I'm coming after you, buddy. And he hits him again at exactly the right moment and exactly the right angle. So the bullet that Nance fired ended up going into his own head. And later that was called an accidental suicide shot. Yeah. Well, because... <laughs> Brady is always blind over there. <laughs> so, I mean, he wasn't dead. He wasn't dead, but... Nance was now neutral. But he should be considering the injury. <laughs> and Doug and Chris called for help. Mm-hmm. So once the police and the EMTs arrived, all three of them were rushed to the hospital. Doug and Chris both ultimately made full recoveries. Nance, however, did not. Okay. He died from his well-deserved injuries the very yeah, next day. Yeah, can't feel that bad. Yeah. So they're looking at what happened to Chris and Doug. And they're realizing that this M.O. that Wayne Nance had used here was eerily similar to some other recent murders that they had had in Missoula. Oh, okay. They started looking at these, and in particular, it was very similar to an attack that had happened to another couple locally. So the police started to do some in-depth comparison with the murders of a couple named Michael and Teresa Shook. As they were looking into this and as they're investigating Nance's background, like where this dude come from, mm-hmm. they searched his home and some objects that had been stolen during the murder of the Shooks was found in his home, were found in his home. Okay. So the investigation is progressing. Authorities start really investigating the background and life of Wayne Nance. And they found, you know, he's not the normal average guy that he tried to pass himself off as. Yeah. He had been widely thought of as a weirdo, basically from his teens until he reached about 30 years old. And as I mentioned earlier, Doug had had a bad feeling about this guy for a long time. Before he even did this, yeah. Yeah, long before the assault and murder attempt. And some of the odd things about Nance were at his job, where he worked for Chris at the furniture store, where he was a furniture mover. Mm Mm-hmm. He was known for going around and slyly taking photos of his female co-workers. And he had been directed to stop doing it, but he just kept doing it. And it creeped everybody out. I mean, imagine if your co-worker just comes up and is like sneaking pictures of you when you don't see them doing it. That would just give me the creep. How does he find out? Did it just catch him in the act of doing that? I or? think somebody else would see him when he was taking, like, I'm taking a picture of you and then Puss sees me doing it. And she's like, meow. And then we're just like... You're so cute. You're so stupid. Nothing in your brain. She's like, no, you fucking idiot. She's trying trying to kill you. So another thing was that there had been a lot of complaints and they continued and continued. Was this like HR or like customers? Customers calling to tell Chris that Nance, after he delivered furniture to their houses, we pick her up. (laughs) After he delivered furniture to their houses... He would start making these creepy, salacious phone calls to these customers. Mm, Yeah. And some of them changed their numbers. Some of them just stopped answering. But he wouldn't stop doing it. I don't know why she didn't fire him. But I guess if she had fired him, he probably would have tried to kill her sooner. Somewhere in the the location where he worked, he had made some sort of a peephole. Oh, God. And he was spying on people through the peephole while they were working. I don't know if it was, like, in the bathroom. It didn't say where the peephole was. But any peephole's a bad peephole. Pretty much you don't want to be part of any peephole Yeah, if you don't know you're being watched, you shouldn't be being watched. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And 
Last but certainly not least, after his death and they searched his house, they found an album that contained dozens of photographs of Chris and on a lot of these photographs he had made these captions about how much he loved her. I love her so much. I want her so bad. I want her to come and live with me. So he wasn't married or anything, right? I don't know that he was capable of a relationship. Yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. <laughs> but, but you know... Have you heard of just asking her on a date? She was married. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not saying it's right, but it's a little more right than murdering them in their sleep. <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, she had given him no indication of any kind of interest. Not interest. And she's his boss. I mean, right, that would... the investigators keep looking into him. Oh, there's more. And as they're finding things related to him, they're realizing there's evidence here that connects him to other murders. Okay. And it appeared from what they were finding that Nance had begun his string of assaults and murders at the age of 18 in 1974. Wow. Okay. Starting young. The first victim that they tied to him was a 39-year-old housewife housewife, (laughs) whose name was Donna Pounds. And she had also been murdered in a fashion similar to the attack on the Wells. So she had been met as she came in the house by Nance. She was met uh, met inside the house. He had broken in and stolen her husband's Luger handgun. Mm. So he tied her up using clothesline that he had brought with him. He raped her. He forced her down to the basement. He shot her five times in the back of her head. And then after she's dead, and this is nasty, Mm -hmm. he raped her with the pistol and he left it inside of her, Mm. her husband's pistol, and then left her like that for her husband, Harvey, to find her. Oh, he wasn't home? No, he wasn't home. Oh, yikes. This was like in the middle of the day. Also, it wasn't midnight or whatever. Yeah, I think he had skipped class. He was still like a high school senior when this happened. Oh, yeah, 18. That's insane. Mm Mm-hmm. Sick. So it was a, a really convenient crime for Wayne Nance because Donna's son, Kenny, had the misfortune to be a close friend of Nance. And he was the one that had shown Wayne Nance where his father kept the Luger in their house. Oh, that's so sad. I know. That guilt you would feel. It's horrible. And then because he was a close friend, Nance also knew the family's regular comings and goings, so he knew exactly when would be a safe time when to do When she's home alone. He knew that... The husband, Harvey, would be at work. He knew that Kenny would be at school. So he's just a hardcore stalker. Like, he's just a psychopath. But later it turned out, when this investigation was going on, it turned out that Nance had been seen in the backyard of the Pounds home right around the time of that murder, and then later again after the murder. Okay. Yeah. He, he was questioned, and I don't have any information about why it took so long, because the murder happened in 1974, but he was not questioned about it he may have been questioned early on but the real and the real questioning of him happened in 1976 well it sounds like he was close to the son not necessarily them so why would you think oh because he had been seen there people saw him in the yard but was he doing something suspicious when they saw him because you know if if I was best friend to somebody and then you got murdered and somebody was like, oh, well, I saw Bailey's best friend in the yard, nobody would be like, oh, they probably murdered Beth. They'd probably be like, oh, they probably needed something from Bailey. Like, <laughs> well, I would think if I was murdered and you happened to be Anybody here, on the property should be talked to. Yeah, I think pretty much anybody that was there For is sure. fair game to talk to. <laughs> but Fair enough, yeah. So he was questioned by the police in 1976, but it was 
it was found out, it was discovered that the husband, Harvey, had been having an affair with someone during the time of the murder. And so prosecutors felt like that was enough to cast reasonable doubt on Nance. So they didn't pursue prosecuting Well, they him. thought that his girlfriend just came and did all that sexual stuff and raped her with the... No, they're just saying because they always assume it's the husband. Oh, that means so he did it. Okay. if he's having an affair, that would give him more reason to not want his sure. wife around. Okay, fair I don't think that Harvey had anything at all to do with it. I think I Nance he felt did like it. Absolute shit about it afterwards, but yeah, I'm sure that he did. But Nance was no longer pursued, even though there was physical evidence and visual identification of him that tied him to the crime. Okay. One other little tidbit was that he had been known to boast to people that he was going to kill someone before he turned 19. Cool joke, bro. Yeah, especially <laughs> when you like your best friend's mom gets raped and murdered in her home. Oh, because that happened a year before. It happened before he was 19. So, okay. Yeah. That, oh, all right. So from 1974 to 1977. So he murders Mrs. Pounds and then he joins the Navy. Okay. And it just so happens that in the time period, 1974 to 1977, there was a trail of unsolved assaults and murders that had taken place in the time frames and the locations where Nance had been stationed during service years. And Mm. there wasn't any trial, you know, for any of the crimes that he was later attached to because dead, yo. (laughs) (laughs) So there was insufficient evidence to certifiably connect him to the unsolved murders. So it can't be proven that he was a perpetrator in those, but it's largely believed that he had something to do with. But he did it, guys. Like, yeah, come because on. <laughs> I mean, when you look at how much connection there is between all of the murders, mm-hmm. and then they've got unsolved murders that are similar in locations where he just happened to be mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, that's not a one. It's really hard to just write that off. I mean, knowing one person around you that gets murdered, terrible, weird. Two people, double weird. Three people, I think you might be the problem. I think we have something going on here that should be looked at. Yeah, like your brain. (laughs) (laughs) So, like I said, he had joined the Navy in 1974, and then he was questioned by the police in 1976. Mm -hmm. Up until 1976, he was doing okay in the Navy. You know, his performance was considered adequate. He was not being disciplined. He wasn't being chastised. He was doing all right. Okay. After the questioning in 1976, all of a sudden, his attitude and his performance in the Navy began to crumble. And he just wasn't, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do properly. He was not, his attitude was bad. He was giving people lip, you know, he wasn't, he just wasn't well, a good... when you have something on your conscience, it, it weighs on you. Like, it can affect your mood. It can affect, I'm not thinking about how to be polite in this situation because I'm just panicking about how do I get out of this. Like, you would think he would just be glad he got away with it. Yeah. But well, at this point... He would think a lot of things, but <laughs> this guy proves them all wrong. Yeah. He had been caught a few times with drugs. and He had other behavioral reprimands, things like that. And he actually received a dishonorable discharge from the Navy in 1977. And that, that follows you forever. You know, that's oh, yeah. not something that... That's not something that people just have that happen and then they're like, so oh, maybe well, leave no this off deal. the resume. <laughs> Basically, it's, I mean, you can't leave that off your resume. I know, that's why it's funny. <laughs> so then he went back home to Missoula, Montana. Okay. And during this time, after he came back home, he made a visit to Seattle, Washington in 1978. Just took a trip up there. All right. 
While he was there, oddly enough, a 15-year-old girl named Devano Nelson disappeared from Seattle, Washington. No one had any idea what happened to her. She was found a year and a half later, in January 1980. She had been shot in the head, and she was decomposed all the way down to skeletal remains, or as they say, outside of the U.S., skeletal remains. <laughs> really? I have never heard that. <laughs> and I, I, every time I see skeletal now, I think skeletal. And she was found in the woods east of Missoula, Montana. And that's nowhere close to where she was. No. Where like, she why would she from. end up back in Montana? That doesn't make sense. The problem was, it was going to take five years after finding her to even identify her. Yeah, once you have skeletal remains, unless you know for a fact somebody went missing right here. She wasn't from this area. Yeah. So Not a single you... person in that area knew her except for Wayne Nance, who obviously grabbed her in Seattle and brought her here. And this was before databases and stuff where all of them yeah. were connected. Missing yeah. girl in Seattle. Exactly. She wasn't from the area. No one in Missoula or the area was looking for her or even knew that she existed. Janet Lucas was last seen in 1983 when she was 23 years old. She was originally from Spokane, Washington, and she had been in Idaho, and she had disappeared from there. It isn't clear how, in 1985, she ended up in the woods east of Missoula with two bullets in her head. Mm. But Nance is still the only suspect because it almost exactly matches his M.O. on every other murder yeah. he's, that he's been associated with. When she died... In 1983, she left behind a five-year-old son who would be 41 years old when his mother's remains were finally identified. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Her family had never known what happened to her because it took 36 years for her to be identified using familial DNA in 2021. Last year. Oh, so literally she just was happened. murdered in 1983 oh and God. last year they finally found her family. That poor kid. And I feel like five is... She has it's four young, grandchildren. But... She has four grandchildren. Her son was five when she died, and four grandchildren that never knew her. Girl, and... just we're missing. We don't know. Yeah, like... it's just that is a heartbreaking story. I mean, all of them are, but but when for there's that... kids involved, it just hurts more. Because a little that bit. kid grew up not knowing if his mom had been murdered or abandoned him. He didn't know. Yeah, that's true. He had no way of knowing. So she, again, was another convenient victim because nobody in Montana knew who she was. She wasn't supposed to be there. And therefore, no one knew that she was missing. Mm -hmm. So when they found her remains, they gave her a pseudonym like they do. Not Jane Doe, but a similar kind of a thing. Yeah, where they sometimes name them after, like, the creek they were found yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. Like... They, they had the three women that I'm talking about here. They mm -hmm. all had pseudonyms like that okay. until they discovered who they were. Marcella Marcy Bachman was a 16-year-old runaway from Vancouver. And one source said it was Vancouver, Canada, but the rest said Vancouver, Washington. She had actually met Nance in a bar where he was working a second job as a bouncer. Okay. And he had met her because she had been dropped off there or dropped out there by a trucker that she had hitched a ride from. So she was last seen publicly with Nance. And she, she was with him for a while. But when she was with him, and they would go to parties or whatever, or to the bar or whatever together, mm -hmm. she was going by Robin, not by her name. Okay. No one was calling her Marcy. They were calling her Robin. And so she was with him for some period of time, staying in his home, in what really amounted to statutory rape, because she was 16 and he was 29. Yeah. Yikes. And then all of a sudden she disappeared. And people noticed that she had disappeared. And they were asking what happened to Robin. 
and Nancy's like, oh, I, you know, she ran off with a trucker, or I dropped her off at a bus station, or whatever. He had all kinds of stories about what happened to Robin. So nobody really questioned it, because she had just appeared out of nowhere, and she disappeared into nowhere, and so nobody really thought anything of it. Sorry. Later, she was found with three gunshot wounds to the head in the woods east of Missoula, Montana. Okay. Are you detecting a pattern here? So are they, at this point, where do all of these bodies keep coming from? Or is it like... They are. The police are like, like, wow. It's a pretty small town, it sounds like. Well, when they investigated him later after the Wells' attack, Mm -hmm. they found evidence that connected him to these crimes. Right. But, But when they were happening, they had no way to connect him because they had no idea that he was associated with Devana and Marcy okay. and Janet. They didn't have, as far as they knew, there was no connection. Her hair was found in his home, but that stands to reason because she had been staying with him. Right. That I mean, I'm sure I have your hair in my home. Well, probably more than on my head at this point. <laughs> <laughs> so people had asked where he, where she'd gone to. He gave all these different explanations to people. Her body was discovered in 1984. Her remains, remember, it took 36 years to identify Janet. It mm-hmm. took 22 years to identify Marcy. Okay. And she was identified by DNA in 2006 and was finally returned to her heartsick family because she was 16. You know, when... When Janet ran off, I'm sure that they weren't sure what happened, but I doubt her family thought she ran off. Right. I'm sure that they thought something bad had happened to her, but it was conceivable that a 23-year-old might have just said, I'm just going to go do something It's my time to do what I want to do. Yeah, Yeah. it's conceivable. It may not have been likely, and they may not have thought that, but with a 16-year-old, if she disappears for 22 years... Okay, she was mad at us because we said she couldn't date that boy, but she's not 22 years mad. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah. at some point, I would have to believe if she's alive, she's going to contact you in 22 years. When her remains were found, there was a grainy photo booth photo that was found with her. And so okay. it was her in one of those little photo booths with the little curtain, and you'd smile six different ways, and you get the little strip of photos. Oh, that would make me so sad. <laughs> there was one of those of her in her pocket. Okay. Because, you know, she was greatly decomposed when they found her, too. So, at least by having that photo, they could see what she looked like. All right. Because otherwise, they were just totally guessing. I mean, they did artist sketches of what they thought she might have looked like. And then they did... I've seen... I remember when I was a kid, I used to watch Quincy. And there was a, a forensics reconstruction guy. Like the would, clay molds and stuff? Yeah, they would take pencil erasers and do the thickness, the typical thickness of skin at this point. Mm-hmm. Typical thickness of skin at this point. And they would reconstruct what they thought the face looked like when all they had was a skull to start with. Okay. They did one of those. I don't know if they still used pencil erasers back then, though. <laughs> but in Quincy, they did. Alrighty. Uh, so, people came forward and said, that's Robin, but that's not going to help find her identity because her name wasn't Robin. Oh, that's, I forgot she changed it on the road. Exactly. So that was no help. But again, he had picked a victim who was not going to be identifiable. But it also is, at the very least, they can be, that's Robin. We might not know her real name, but she's been hanging around this skis bag. So yeah, that gives you a little bit of... That may have been the heat that was on him. You mm. know, people might have been saying, hey, maybe you should talk to this guy because... The next one, well, not the next one, two more, mm-hmm. is the Wells's. Okay. And then he's getting heat to get out of town. After we've talked about Marcy, the next one is the Shooks. 
and they're the ones I mentioned in the very beginning okay, of this couple. that were very similar to the Wells's. This investigation, when the police started looking into this one related to, to Nance, that's when the investigators started really to unravel the tangled mess of truth that Wayne Nance was clearly a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he had nothing on his record for that, but he clearly was. Michael and Teresa Shook were in their early 30s. He was 34 and she was 32. They'd been married eight years and they had three little kids. I think the oldest one was like six and they had like a four-year-old mm-hmm. and then a baby. Okay. And I looked up their family photo on findagrave.com and they were just the sweetest looking oh, family. They had like the dream, you know? They, I mean, he was a good looking man. She was a pretty woman. And the three little kids just had the happiest little faces. Mm-hmm. You know they were loved. You know they were well cared for. Sure, yeah. So it's just a heartbreaking thing because they were just a, a loving, happy family. If you remember back, one of Nance's jobs had been as a furniture mover. Mm-hmm. He had delivered a new couch to the Shooks' house a couple weeks. Oh no, that's how he earlier. Okay. And they lived in a, a rural house. They had a lot of space around them, so there was a lot of room for mischief to take place around there. And one night, he came back to their house and he just pounded really violently on their front door. And you know, it alarmed the adults in the house. And I'm like, what the hell is that? But the little boy, the four-year-old. Before mom and dad can even get to the door, this little four-year-old has gone and opened the front door. He's like, oh, the mailman's here, you or know. maybe it's grandma with donuts, you know. And so this poor little kid. I mean, that kid has no idea that bad things like that exist. No, you know? and, you know, that's a credit that he didn't know that at four years old. But yeah. now at four years and a half, he knew because bad things happened to his family. So he opens the door, allowing Nance to enter. And... Mike Shook is running through the house now. He's like, what is going on at my front door? There's a big scuffle between Mike Shook and Wayne Nance, and it resulted in Mike getting hit in the head with a heavy object. I don't know if Nance brought his baton to this thing, too. Yeah, maybe had, like, a lamp nearby or something. Cracked him in the head with whatever this thing was. And after, after he stunned Mike Shook with cracking him over the head, he tied him up. Nance beat him, just kept beating the hell out of him while he's tied up, stabbed him in the chest and left him to die. Nance then forced Teresa up the stairs, tied her to the bed, and somehow I assume that he had Teresa do this to put all the children into their beds mm-hmm. so they weren't disturbing him. We wouldn't want to throw off your mojo. Yeah. Mofo. Don't throw off your mojo, mofo. <laughs> anyway, after the children are put into their beds, Teresa was tied to the bed. However, the baby, Megan... Her crib was right next to the parents' bed, so she lay there while her mother was raped on the bed only a couple feet away from her. And then Nance stabbed Teresa to death, and he left the house, just took off. So his vehicle was actually seen leaving the property, and so it's 100% certain that he was actually there. He later came back to the house to steal some stuff. And after he stole those things, he decided, well, I'll start a fire. I'll burn the house down. But the kid's still there? Kids are still in there. He's attempting to destroy the evidence. However, the neighbors discovered that the house was on fire and went inside and saved three children. And they did have some smoke inhalation, but they were okay. Well, it's just hard with the baby. Like, that baby can't run. (laughs) It's in a crib. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, fortunately... The only bright point of it is that the children did not die in the fire. Mm -hmm. Apparently, 
Nance had gotten a shot off when he came in the house and somehow he shot a bullet into Teresa Shook's leg. When forensics got that bullet later on, they tested it and it had come from a gun that was owned by Wayne Nance's father, George. Hmm. Okay. When he came back after the murders, remember he came back and he stole some stuff. And he stole some stuff and he started the fire. The items that he stole from the home were found either at Nance's home or some of them had been given to his family members as gifts. Oh, can you imagine finding out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unbeknownst to everyone, this serial killer had been operating in Montana and elsewhere for pretty much a decade. And there's various evidence to support his involvement in all these crimes. The fact is that his death was the only justice that's ever going to happen. But there is something really cathartic in knowing that in the end, this monster who caused all this terror, all this pain, all this trauma, death, destruction, took how, who knows how many lives, because we don't know. I mean, that's we know what are, we know of. Yeah. We know of a, a small number that Ugh. we're pretty sure he did. But who knows how many more. And who knows how many people he raped or yeah. and didn't kill so they didn't report it or whatever. I read but... something where he had also been allegedly connected. I don't know what evidence they had to, to attach him to it. Mm-hmm. But I read where he had also been a suspect in the rape and stabbing of a five-year-old girl. In the same year that he killed Donna Pounds. So back in 1974. I wasn't going to add that in here because there's not really... I couldn't find what the evidence was to support that connection. Right. But he is pretty much a suspect in a lot more than just the ones I've listed. Well, I know you said he got dishonorably discharged from the Navy, but did they say what the exact offense was? Was it just being disobedient or was it It, like... I think it was more associated with... The fact that he had drugs on him. Oh, okay. He had drugs and some other non-allowable thing on him. So in the end of this, when he met up with the Wellses, the little arrogant butthole thought he was going to come there and show Chris who the man is, he ended up curled up in the corner of the floor, crying and begging for mercy like the little bitch he was. Mm -hmm. And Doug and Chris, who made it through this whole ordeal only because of their survival instincts and their sheer determination to live, they gave Nance a good, solid taste of his own poison. And he was only 31 when he died. Nance? So he had done all of this shit. shit. (laughs) At 31, he had already done all of this. So just imagine how many people's lives were saved. He could be doing that well in his 70s. You know what I mean? Yeah. You hear about people like that. He could be. He could still be doing it now if he was not dead. So... Chris Wait, and so Doug. What year was that again? When that was thought? 1985. Okay, but that's the that's at the very beginning. So I don't know. <laughs> but just just think for a second. If he killed, let's round it to ten. Mm-hmm. In the first ten years, if he had been going another twenty years, and he was escalating, he was doing more and more quickly. He would, he could have been doing thirty or forty people a year, you know, just based on how much faster he was killing people. So I guess in a way, we were kind of lucky that. He happened upon the wells. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. glad they're okay at the end, but yeah. Jesus, what a... They saved a lot of people's mm-hmm. lives. 
And you know what? That's as good an ending to a serial killer story as, as you can ask it. for. Good riddance, mofo. Yes. And that's all I have to say about Wayne Nance because what a piece of shit he was. And I I had never heard of him before before I started looking. You know, into I've heard this. the name before, but I don't think I knew he was that prolific. I thought it, it when you first said it, I thought that's not a serial killer. I think he murdered one kid. I think I might have just heard the case that he started with originally, and then yeah, because he was killed by them. Right, that's so the famous one. That's the one everyone might have heard of. Well, a lot of these, too, I feel like I heard this maybe five years ago, and a lot of them have recently been updated. All these Jane Doe's have been... Mm, yeah, We know who they are now because of genealogy and stuff, so... Yeah. Well, crazy. until they killed him, they had no way to connect him to all the other ones mm-hmm. because they, they knew that there were similarities in the cases and then the way people were tied up with clothesline. And, you know, people had been... Somebody had been seen carrying their big black duffel bag out or they saw his, I think it was like a maroon Toyota 4x4 or something that he drove. And they would see these things, but nobody could connect them to a person until he got killed by the Wellses. And that's when it all fell together. Well, and you have to think the 80s, how many serial killers were out there that were, we don't even know if this is one guy, if this is 12 guys. Yeah. (laughs) Is it just really popular to kill them this way? I don't know. Like... (laughs) Yeah. So that was a very long, interesting story. And because the best we can ever seem to hope for is that a serial killer gets caught and arrested and maybe gets the electric chair, maybe gets life in prison times 12 or whatever. Yeah, it's it's it's, not even I don't want them to die and just good riddance to them. It's just, I don't know, the fact that they somehow have control till the end is just pisses me off. Yeah. It's like, I would like you to see what you're doing to other people and have absolutely no control over your life from here on out because that's what you deserve. I love the image of him curled up in the corner and Mm -hmm. crying and asking, begging them to to stop hurting him. Yep. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. Sorry for my mouth, but you know that's exactly what I would say if he was curled up in the corner in my room and I I hope it hurt. And I was hitting him (laughs) with the butt of my rifle. Because that's exactly what he deserved. Sick mother <gasps> We need chocolate. Yeah, if you just bring wine, that should get us through. If we're subscribed to our Patreon, we're going to pay for our rehab. <laughs> She's kidding. We haven't set up a Patreon. Look, Grandma and Grandpa, they love us a lot. They're going to be tuned in right away. I cannot imagine <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa, your Grandma and Grandpa, listening to a Any true of crime them. podcast. Time to go. All right. And you. And you. And you, and you, and you. It's to you, and you, and you. Oh, they have an accent. I have no idea. And you, to you, and you, and you. All right, we'll edit that. Yeah, bye.